Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. To welcome you along to the programme. It's a miserable old day out there, I'd say, unless you absolutely have to go out for business or shopping or do something. I would stay indoors today. It's just kind of one of those days if you've got a nice open fire to sit by the open uh, fire. John Ball's taking your calls at 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp the programme to 0862 103 103. And I can already see texts coming into the programme and we will get to them as we go through the morning. But just to update you on some issues that have been coming in during the week and people looking for clarification on it. One was to do with the digital COVID certificates. And I think this became a talking point over the last few days when the announcement was made by the EU that they're bringing in new rules that come into effect from the 1st of February, which says that you have to have a nine-month maximum validity period on your EU digital COVID uh, certs and that's obviously going to affect people that are planning on doing any travel overseas from the 1st of February. So people who would have and this is to do with people who completed their primary vaccination uh, regime so people who would have been vaccinated earlier in the year. I mean it was this time last year we were starting the vaccinations and we were some people were seen as the really lucky ones the first to be getting the vaccines and many of those would have completed their either even if they were waiting three months would have completed their primary vaccination regime by March which means by then their nine months uh, will be up which means if they wanted to travel they couldn't use their COVID certificate. That's unless they had a booster because a booster obviously then uh, puts a new dimension onto your COVID certificate. So initially we were we're told that the COVID certificates were not going to be updated. We certainly were hearing about that before Christmas, but now the government have come out and said updated digital asserts are now being issued to people who have received their booster or an additional third dose. To date, 2.2 million people have already received the booster in Ireland. We certainly are doing well with the booster regime. And yesterday, Stephen Donnelly announced that people who recently received the additional vaccine dose would receive an updated certificate in the coming days. Now, actually, the first of these certificates started to arrive yesterday afternoon. And how I know about that, there's three in our house due to get, because three of us have been boost, boosted. Um, Hobby got his one yesterday afternoon and then I spotted this morning that Marcia got hers. They're arriving by uh, email. I haven't got mine uh, yet. Uh, so it's, it's, go- it's going to be a period of time. I think it's going to take about uh, a week. Now the updated digital 
COVID certificate. It contains a QR code. It looks identical to the previous uh, one and you can also store it in your COVID tracker app and it just replaces the old uh, cert. Now I'm being told that the new certs will be issued via email. I'm trying to find out what will happen to the people who didn't have emails and they were posted out to people. I can't find anything at this stage to say how those people are going to receive their updated digital COVID uh, certificate. Now we are being told to give it a week for everybody to receive, everyone, anyone who has received their booster to receive your updated digital COVID certificate and they say members of the public if you don't receive it after a week from today, so say this day next week week you can get on to the online self-service portal at gov.ie forward slash dcc um, and, and you can so, so leave it a week but you need to check your emails to see has your updated digital COVID certificate arrived I'd also remind people to check your spam accounts because remember when these certs first came out there was just uproar with some people saying I didn't get it they were getting on to the online portal that said yes your cert was issued and somebody saying well I haven't received it I keep checking my emails and it's not there and then it turned out it was in their spam account so check your spam account as well and then if after a week you haven't received it you have your booster haven't received it get on to gov.ie forward slash dcc and by the way people can also request a certificate of recovery if you have recovered from COVID in the last six months you also do that via the online uh, self-service portal because some people of course were not able to get their digital were not able to get their booster because they had uh, had a recent uh, COVID-19 infection. Uh, so just to let people know that they are, they check your emails. I'm assuming a lot of people may have, have already received it. And the other one that we were getting a lot of calls in about this week is to do with this antigen test that has been providing false a number of false positives and we know the Health Protection Regulatory Authority are looking into this particular antigen uh, test. Genru, Genrui, I still don't know how you pronounce it, G-E-N-R-U-I. The Health Protection Regulatory Authority had, of course, asked retailers to remove the Genru tests from sale on a voluntary basis pending their further investigation. And a number of the supermarkets who were selling them, I don't know, Little and Aldi, or sorry, yeah, no, Little and Dunn's seemed to be the main two supermarkets that were, that were selling them. Then they were also available in other supermarkets as well. Don't know if any chemists were selling them, uh, but certainly it seemed to be Little and Dunn's were the main providers of this particular brand of antigen test that appeared to be causing problems, certainly over uh, Christmas. And the HPRA said, I think it was about 550 complaints. And when they saw the amount of complaints coming in about these false positives, they decided to do something about it. But we started getting calls in from a as soon as we started mentioning this particular brand from people who said, well, I was in the supermarket and I've, I stockpiled them and I, I have 10 of them. I have five of them, uh, you know, at home in the cupboard. What do I do with them? Am I entitled to a, a refund? And the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, obviously, they've been contacted by a number of people who have these antigen tests at home and people saying, look, you know, we've been told not to buy them. So does that mean we've been told not to use them? What do I, I do with them? They say because investigations are on Ongoing, it can't state at this time that the tech that these kits are not in conformity with the contract of sale and therefore consumers are not automatically entitled to a refund. So what the commission, the consumer commission are recommending to consumers is 
hang on to the products, obviously don't throw them away and keep the receipts with the products as your proof of purchase. And when someone buys a, a product and the conditions of the sale are not met, then the business has sold the product is responsible for addressing the issue. But until the HPRA come out and say that there is something wrong, because we don't know yet that they'll even come out and say that, but if they do come out and say there's something wrong, it's only them that people will be able to go back and demand a refund. Now, having said that, I did hear of somebody who returned them to Dunn's with the receipt, obviously under their normal return policies, and they were getting a refund on it. And I know Little came out and said that their standard change of mind policy applies applies to all items but it applies to these items as well and they say once the items are unused that the seal is intact on the box but you must have proof of purchase in order to have them return for a full refund and therein I think lies the problem because a lot of us particularly if you bought them on a supermarket shop you'd have maybe thrown them in to your trolley headed up to the checkout how many of us keep our receipts. I'm great to keep receipts for, you know, white goods or any kind of electrical goods. I keep all of those receipts but I hand on heart I don't keep receipts for supermarkets so that could be a problem. But for now if you have the receipts all well and good you should be able to go back and get a, a refund. But if you haven't got the receipt I would suggest hanging on to the kits and let's wait and see if what comes out of the investigation from the Health Products Regulatory Authority. 0818103103 that is our brand new phone number and by text to the programme this morning looking for advice is a North Cork listener who says Patricia I'm wondering really how much power does Cork County Council and the Gardaí have the reason that I say that is it seems to me they have no power at all anymore the reason I'm texting is myself and my family we live in a North Cork council estate and we're being treated very badly by our neighbours. Our house is in an awful state. If we ask for help, we're basically told that the council and the Gardaí can do nothing about it. We're actually afraid to go outside our front door sometimes because we get called dreadful names and laughed at and threatened by these antisocial neighbours. The council are doing nothing to stop the neighbours and when we contact the guards, it's almost like they don't care. I've been trying to get this sorted out now for well over 10 years, but nobody seems to be taking it seriously. I've had letters from the council stating that they're looking into it, but they've been looking into it now for over 10 years and still we're being treated like dirt by our neighbours. I'm beginning to think that they are, that maybe the guards and the council are afraid of these uh, neighbours and therefore we are left living in hell. God, to be put up, putting up with antisocial behaviour for 10 years. You're not on your own. We regularly, not regularly, but we do every, uh, throughout the Every year, I think I've been doing this programme, we would hear from people who talk about antisocial behaviours, behaviour by neighbours. I don't know whether it's getting worse or not. And I don't know what the simple solution is, but we'll put it out there to see if anybody else can make suggestions for this person who seems to be doing everything right. They're getting on to the council. I mean, all I would say is keep getting on to the council and they, they seem to be getting on to the guards. I don't know what role the guards have to play in that type of antisocial behaviour. Only other thing I can think of, and I don't know if you've tried this before, and I don't know what part of North Cork that you are writing to us from. Have you, who's your local councillor, your local county councillors? Councillors are really good at raising issues and raising concerns. I would suggest maybe trying to contact your local county councillor for your area and see if they're able to help 
failing that, I'd say keep getting onto the council, keep telling them what's going on. You need to log any antisocial behaviour and trying, I know trying to get evidence of antisocial behaviour can be difficult at times as well. But my heart goes out to you, you know, your home, your home is your home and you should be able to feel comfortable in your in your own home but you also should be able to feel comfortable and safe when you open your front door and leave your house and shouldn't be living in fear that some of the neighbours are going to come out and start you know shouting dreadful abuse at you. If anybody has advice for our North Cork listener would welcome it please. We have had a number of people contact us by phone by text and by WhatsApp about the new digital uh, certificate the updated one showing your booster and um, we're being told they've been emailed out by a number of people saying that they don't have an email. Somebody saying, I, I don't have a phone. I don't have internet. Uh, I received my initial search by post. Are they going to be posting out the booster? The one with the updated one with the booster on it. We can't find out anything online. Everything online is saying to people, is directing everybody to go online to the online portal at gov.ie So what we're going to do is we're going to email the Department of Health. I imagine they are going to have to accommodate people because there was a cohort of people who didn't have emails and who they initially posted the certificates out. I'm imagining they're going to have to accommodate those people that just don't seem to be publicly stating it certainly on anything that we've discovered online so we're going to email the Department of Health so bear with us on that one please and we'll get back to you as soon as we hear from them. Jared says Morning Patricia re-updated digital COVID-19 certs. I got my booster on Wednesday. The cert arrived in my email last night. There's an efficient service. Have a nice weekend says Jared, and a nice weekend to you uh, too. Thank you for that. M says hi Patricia Happy New Year. Many happy returns. We had 10 of those tests, those Gen Rui tests that we bought in Little in McCroom on Sunday. Now we had used four of them. They were negative, uh, thank God. So I returned six yesterday, got a refund, no fund, no problem at all. My only issue then was trying to access other antigen tests. We managed to get them in a chemist in the end. Yeah, as we discussed that yesterday, there is a global, it isn't just Ireland, there's a global supply issue with antigen tests. And as we as we said yesterday, uh, they will start to go up in price because if there's a global demand for them, the producers are going to start charging more to people buying them. And obviously people buying them in them are going to have to pass on the additional uh, charges. 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls Court today on C103 With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance CMIG.ie More and more people trying to give up cigarettes Vaping or e-cigarettes have become more popular as a way of kicking the habit But with the availability of child-friendly flavours do we now need to look at stricter advertising and sales restrictions around these electronic cigarettes. Fine Gael Health Spokesperson Deputy Colin Burke thinks so. And Colin joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning, Patricia. And a Happy New Year uh, to you. you. Now, is, there, is that the real concern, that some of these e-cigarettes l- almost look like they're being aimed at children? Well, the figures show um, that in the 15 to 16 year age group, 39% have used e-cigarettes and what's concerning is that 15% are regular EU cigarette users. So <clears throat> and there is a concern. Um, the Health Research Board has shown that people who use e-cigarettes are uh, five times more likely to take up smoking 
And remember, we have made huge progress in relation to reducing the number of people smoking in this country. It's come down from 41% down to 13%, and we don't want that to reverse. <clears throat> and I, I think that's the big concern that's there at the moment, that uh, this young age group seem to be 39% is the figure uh, that have used e-cigarettes. And I think we need now to look at applying the same level of restrictions on advertising as what applies to tobacco products. And I, I think also there's some research from the U.S. showing that um, people who use um, uh, e-cigarettes, 11% um, said when they, in a survey suffered from chronic bronchitis or, or COPD, whereas people who had never used e-cigarettes, it's um, the figure is 5.6%. So there is a variation there that people who use e-cigarettes have, are... Um, more likely to have follow-on health issues. Yeah, I mean, do we need, and would you like to see more research into the possible health implications of uh, vaping? Because that's the problem. They are still a relatively new product. They are. In fairness, there is quite a a deal of research done um, in different countries, but in the States in particular. And I think the concern also is that, um, and this is a very genuine concern, is that some of the e-cigarette um, produce manufacturers are actually uh, strongly backed by the tobacco industry. And I think we've, for a long number of years, tobacco industry were well able to defend it in a corner. Um, and we have suffered quite badly in this country in relation to the health consequences that people have had to, um, you know, ended up with as a result of, of um, smoking we now need to make sure that we don't reverse the trend that has occurred over the last 25 years. Um, you know, 41% down to 13% is a huge achievement, and I think it's important that we continue on, on that road. But yet many smokers will say they kicked the habit column because of using e-cigarettes. I, I accept that, and I'm not, I'm not challenging that. Um, but what we're concerned about is the age group who are now using e-cigarettes Okay, the legislation is saying that they're not supposed to be sold to people under 18, yet we find that 39% of um, of people um, between 15 and 16 have used e-cigarettes. So the, the market is there. It's important that we now um, deal with it, that we put in place a ban on advertising in the same way as cigarettes advertising, that we also insist on um, plain packaging. And I think that's important. And remember, all of the health indicators are, you know, it's interesting to look at um, some of the reports produced in UK. It says, uh, quoting from one of the reports, vaping is likely to be less harmful than smoking. But it it doesn't say um, uh, that it isn't, that you won't have consequences. And it's interesting as well as, you know, the Health Products Regulatory Authority, which is the HPRA, um, if you want to promote um, a product which is of a benefit to you health-wise, then they must approve that product. There is no e-cigarette which has been approved by the HPRA in this country. And I think that's a clear indication that there is still, uh, you know, there there is no evidence that e-cigarettes, um, that, there, that there isn't a or can be a problem by using them. I do accept that they're less harmful than cigarettes, but I still think that there are 
that there are issues with them that we need to be aware of. And they are also highly addictive because, of course, they still contain nicotine. Yeah, they do contain a high degree of nicotine. And as you know, once nicotine is used, then it's addictive and it's very hard to come off them. And it is a huge challenge for anyone who is smoking um, to stop smoking and, you know, to to move on um, in, in relation to moving away completely from smoking. It is so difficult and everyone... Everyone has a member of their family who did smoke, who did try to come off cigarettes, and it is a long, hard uh, road for them to travel. And anything that can assist them, and certainly if e-vaping can assist them, um, or e-cigarettes can assist them, uh, then that's welcome. But I think it's important that we don't promote them with younger people who then may end up smoking and then Yeah, because you know, it's worrying to hear, you know, 39% of 15 to 16 year olds because my, my big concern there would be did some of those young people start on an e-cigarette? Yeah, well, the, as I said, the Health Research Board clearly showed that um, those that have adolescents that e- use e-cigarettes um, are five times more likely to end up smoking. Well. And and there are the figures, and I think it's important that we, you know, deal with this issue now rather than dealing with it when we have f- clear figures of people uh, requiring additional health care um, as a result of having, um, you know, started off with e-cigarettes and then ended up smoking and end up with health problems. Yeah, and it's these kind of child-friendly flavours that I mentioned. You know, I mean, you could get like flavours like cola, there's bubblegum, uh, vanilla, right, yeah. um, berry flavoured. I mean, it, is, could, you, could you look at banning the flavoured vapes? Would that be a move in the right direction? Well, I suppose it's something that needs to be looked at. Um, now, some people who um, were regular smokers found that there is an advantage in moving on to e-cigarettes where there are flavours and moves away from, I suppose, the... You know, they're addicted still to nicotine, um, but they're moving away from the taste of tobacco. Therefore, the flavours are the advantage there. But it's also on the other side of it then. The downside of that is that it's also attractive for young people. And I think that's one of the issues that has to be analysed very carefully to see what needs to be done uh, on that whole area. Yeah, actually, a couple of people commenting on this. Uh, Kate, uh, who describes herself as a non-smoker, uh, said she was out walking over Christmas and uh, she met a young girl she said, who she knows is under the age of 18. She said she was taken aback to see her vaping. She's wondering where are they getting the vapes, where are they getting the electronic cigarettes from? And then Melanie was on to say she was horrified to discover her son, who's only 16, is vaping. He never smoked. When she quizzed him about it, he said, everybody is do, is doing it. Uh, he, she, them thought that he was buying it illegally, but he said no. He got it in a local shop. Uh, so Melanie is fearful that some shops are not being strict on the over eighteen rule because you must be over eighteen, um, and that that needs to be looked at. And like the the Irish Cancer Society, I think uh, I'm not sure whether it is the Heart Foundation or the Irish Cancer Society are looking for you know the sales wouldn't take um, that people over twenty one would all be entitled to buy, but I, I don't think we can implement that rule because, you know, at 18 people um, have certain rights um, and I think it would be difficult to implement it that way. But look, we need to look at this. We need to make the necessary changes on advertising and we need also to highlight 
that there is this danger that once you start using e-cigarettes, you're then have a higher risk of moving on to smoking as well. And we need to continue to work towards reducing down the number of people who are smoking. You know, we're the big one is, of course, lung cancer. And it's, um, it's, it's a, an ex- extremely difficult battle for anyone who does get lung cancer. Um, it's, a, it's a long road for them. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a huge demand on our health service as well. So I think anything that we can do to make sure we remove the risks, um, I think we must give it support. OK, listen, we leave it there, Colm. Thank you for that. Thank and you th- thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is the Fine Gael Health Spokesperson, uh, Deputy Colm Burke, 0818 103 103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. In what is seen by some as a symbol of our changing seasons due to climate change, some swallows are decided to stay here for winter. Normally swallows leave Ireland in September, early October and then we get all excited to see their arrival in April into May as it heralds the start of summer. So what is going on with some swallows this year? Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Ireland uh, joins me. Good morning to you Niall. Good morning, how are you? I'm, I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Now I saw some swallows photographed in County Wexford over Christmas. Has there been many sightings of swallows this winter? Not many, but even having a few is uh, is unusual. Um, well, it used to be unusual, but at least you know, going back a couple of decades, it's something that would just never happen. Uh, but now, in the last few winters, we've seen a small but but still a striking number of swallows staying behind in Ireland and not bothering to migrate to, to sub-Saharan Africa. The vast majority of our swallows, I mean, the vast, vast majority, do still leave as they normally would in the autumn time and, as you said, arrive back then in, in the late spring, early summer. Uh, and that's that's the way it's been, obviously, for, for millennia. But we are seeing changes where some are staying behind. I think it really boils down to, as you said, climate change is certainly, certainly would seem to be a factor here because the reason the swallows migrate at all is for food because all they eat is small flying insects. And in the summer, there are usually quite a few of those around, plenty to support a population, although, to be honest, fewer insects than there used to be. So swallows are, are feeling the pinch as well, but that's the time you'd have the insects on the wing. But in the winter, when the weather gets cold, the, those insects disappear. The swallows have no choice but to migrate to, to sub-Saharan Africa, where they have a second summer and another, um, another season full of insects. But what's happened in, in recent years, there's been enough insects on the wing to support a small number of swallows that haven't had to migrate. Uh, and we're not just seeing this here in Ireland, we're seeing it in other European countries, particularly in southern Europe, places like Spain and Portugal. There are now thousands of swallows which aren't bothering to cross the Mediterranean that are staying there all year. Uh, and this is certainly a turn up for the books. And I, I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that they, they leave for food. Most people assume that they were leaving for the warmer weather. Well, both of those are true. They're, 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 birds migrate if the weather affects their food supply. So if you're a bird, like let's say a robin or a blackbird or a blue tit, common garden birds like that, they have a very wide diet and they can eat, uh, they, they can find food in nature throughout all 12 months of the year. So if you're a blackbird, for example, you might eat uh, worms during the summer and, and little invertebrates and spiders and things like that. Then in the winter, you can switch to feeding on fruits and berries that are on bushes and trees. So you, you, you don't need to migrate. But if you're a swallow, um, the weather controls the availability of your, of your food items, namely just those, those small insects. So we see a lot of insect-eating birds uh, tend to migrate to, uh, to further south where it's warmer so they can, they can escape the winter conditions here in, in this part of Europe. Um, and that's so it, it, is, it is due to the weather, but it's only because the weather has an effect on their food supply. And for the ones that have decided to stay, will they survive? 
Uh, well, nobody knows for sure, but obviously the odds are stacked against them because um, it, it, what happened was, of course, when those birds were photographed in Wexford, um, it was still relatively mild. You know, the, the, the Christmas period and up into to New Year's was, was was extremely mild here in County Wicklow, where I am. It was, I think, it was almost fifteen degrees on yeah, New Year's Eve, yeah. which, which is, is um, you know, is, is unprecedented. But then, of course, we've had a cold spell, and since then, it's been a sudden cold snap, and that means that the insects that those swallows would have been depending on will have disappeared in many cases. So it becomes much harder. To survive now, whether whether they would just then head south at that stage, or whether they would try to to, to brave it out, it's hard to tell. There's no way to track these birds, mm. and if they were to die, we, we, we'd never know, really. But um, so it's a bit of a mystery. But certainly, when we do see changes in the migratory behaviour of birds like this that have obviously evolved over millions of years, um, when we see them happening so rapidly, these changes, it certainly calls for alarm. You know, we really should sit up and take notice of what's happening. The, the, the nature, and particularly migratory birds, tell us a lot about the state of our climate. And when you think about those tiny birds, you know, leaving Ireland to go to sub-Sahara in Africa, that must be an incredibly difficult journey. It is, and the, the majority of the swallows don't make it. The majority actually die en route. Um, so what we see is a lot of uh, a lot of uh, juvenile swallows, so, so young swallows, teenage swallows, let's say, they leave uh, they leave uh, Ireland never to return, probably most of them, because it's only the very fittest of the fit that managed to survive that migration. And climate change is having a big impact on that journey too, because our swallows, as far as you know, head all the way down to, to areas like Cape Town and Johannesburg and that part of Africa. So it's a very long journey, and to get there they have to cross many hazards, uh, not least of which is the Sahara a desert. They have to cross that on the way there and then on the way back. And because of climate change, the Sahara is getting wider every yeah. year. And that's another barrier those birds just, you know, some of them just can't make it because there's no food, there's no shelter, there's no water to just get across. And many of them die en route. And then, of course, with climate change too, it's causing more unsettled weather when they're migrating. So the weather's more unpredictable. They often run into storms in places like the Mediterranean or in Central Africa. Uh, and that seems to kill quite a lot of them as well. Uh, and then, of course, when they're in Southern Africa, they're then also affected by climate change because, um, because that's affecting the availability of insects there. They have lots of competition from other birds and other creatures that are eating those insects too. So, you know, it's, you know, long term, the situation for swallows looks, looks quite shaky, I'm afraid. Yeah, climate change. Uh, we have so much to answer for. We have so much to do uh, when it comes to climate uh, change. And now, staying on rare sightings, what did you make of that Egyptian vulture that was spotted in County Roscommon? Yes, that, that's, that, that was um, a, a real turn up for the books. That, that's a bird that had actually been, been seen several months previously. I think it had been seen up, um, up in, in the northwest. Uh, we know a bit about this bird. So it was seen, uh, it was seen late last summer, I think, on the Scilly Isles of Cornwall. Uh, and then it disappeared for a month or so, then turned up again in Ireland, and then obviously has been you know, flying under the radar, maybe above the radar, if you pardon the expression, um, over the last six months, and it's turned up now again in Roscommon. It's only seen for, for a day or so, and, hasn't been, and has not been relocated since. Uh, it's an absolutely massive bird, pretty much the biggest bird that most people would ever see flying in the skies in Ireland. Um, it's black and white as well, so it's quite a striking colour. Uh, so it, it's, you know, it just shows that they can fly very high, so maybe blind spotting it. But that's a bird that would obviously be very much associated with, with warmer climates as well. It's, it's, um, it's not confined to Egypt, despite the name. Uh, there's uh, populations of these birds in, in Iberia and, and in other parts of southern Europe and on Canary Islands and places like that too. Um, but it is very much a bird that would be associated with warm weather and a bird that would not be typically you know, used to very cold winter temperatures somewhere like Ireland. Uh, but um, they are opportunistic birds. They are very good at uh, finding food. They, they, they feed on, on, on dead prey. If they find dead animals, they scavenge on those. If they, they don't kill prey themselves. They just scavenge on things that are already dead. Um, so you know, if they can find enough food, it may 
survive. But uh, it's it's quite interesting that it's, it's you know such a um, such an exotic bird has turned up here in yeah, Ireland. Yeah, first ever a, record. A so rare, very rare, rare sighting. And just yeah. while we are, we we were discussing about how warm uh, December was, and it was the warmest on record in many of our our weather stations. But now, of course, we do have this cold snap at the moment that's certainly with us across the weekend. Caroline is wondering about the feeding of birds in our gardens, particularly during this cold spell, and is wondering fat balls or peanuts, which is the best. Oh, I'd say, uh, I'd say to do both if you can, that when it comes to feeding birds in the garden, variety really is the key. So different species of birds have different requirements. Uh, peanuts are excellent for um, many of the tit species, for example, and many other birds like to eat those. I would always recommend putting out some seed as well in conjunction with peanuts, so things like sunflower seed. That works really, really well for, for lots of birds. There's another type of seed called niger seed, which is great for goldfinches and siskins, these small little finches that like small seeds. And then the fat balls or anything made of suet, uh, that's really good for a wide variety variety of birds. They need those those calories in a high calorie diet um, during the winter months, particularly to keep that internal furnace going so they can survive the cold winter nights. Um, if birds have enough food, um, they can survive temperatures far lower than anything the Irish winter is ever going to throw at them. So they can they're, they're amazingly well insulated in those feathers, but they do need plenty of food to keep the, you know, to burn those calories up. So and it's a one going. it's a wonderful thing to do to put a bird feeder into the garden just to watch it. To watch them. Oh, it is. I, 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 I can spend hours watching in my yeah. own garden feeders. It's amazing. And it's helping the birds too. It's a really nice thing to do. And recommend as well to people at this time, not just food, if you put out water for birds, that's really important because those temperatures go below freezing, all the ponds and puddles and streams will freeze over and it's very hard then for the birds to find water to drink or to, or to bathe. So putting a little dish of water for the birds can make a big difference at this time of year too. Oh, well done. Well done. Good words of advice. Niall, uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. That is uh, Niall Hatch of Birdwatch Island. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Before Christmas, we were asking people involved with charities and local community organisations if they were producing calendars as a fundraiser to get them into us. And many did. And we mentioned uh, as many of the calendars as we could in the lead up to Christmas. Well, lo and behold, we got a calendar that arrived late. It only arrived yesterday, but hot off the presses and worthy of a mention. And it's a calendar that's on sale for McCroom senior citizens. And it's a beautiful calendar filled with lovely photographs of animals and wildlife. I mean, the one for March is just simply says Daffodil Day and it's just a, a bunch of daffodils. And I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big, anyone that knows me will know it's one of my favourite flowers, uh, daffodils. But it's beautiful. It's a really lovely, lovely, very well produced calendar and it is on sale on behalf of McCroom City Senior Citizens. Now, they started out as a service back in the late 60s. They were initially just a Meals on Wheels group for people in McCroom, but they have since uh, expanded and they're now a community-based voluntary organisation and they provide services services, not just from McCroom, the wide hinterland, um, Clondrohead, Bullock, Coachford, Kilmichael. I mean, it's a, it's a big, big area now that they cover and they provide services in areas of education, housing, social aspects of life for the elderly of McCroom and the Lee Valley uh, area. And obviously they continue to do their meals on wheels uh, as well. Uh, what they initially started out to do, they still do and they provide meals at their centre along as well as dropping off the meals to people in their homes. But uh, it's a lovely, lovely calendar and it is on sale locally. And thank you to Nora Casey for sending it in to us. And she says that the calendars 
are on sale in local shops uh, McSweeney's shop and Frankie Toomey's in McCroom and you can also get them directly from Pat O'Connell or from Nora Casey herself as well and they are priced at uh, 10 euro if you haven't got your calendar yet and you're in McCroom please consider the McCroom Senior Citizens calendar who are also by the way are looking for people if you've got any scrap that you want to donate. They are holding a collection. Now, it's not happening until March, but let's give you the advanced warning about it. They're looking for scrap metal, batteries, old cars, uh, no electrical appliances, please, but any other kind of scrap metal. Their drop-off point is going to be McCroom Mart on Wednesday the 2nd and Thursday the 3rd of March, 10am to 3pm each day. And they can even do collections uh, on request. If you can't actually drop it off, you can contact Nora at 021-733-9049. But if you've been gathering up scrap in the McCroom area, hang on to it, please, until March 2nd and 3rd of March and consider donating it to McCroom senior citizens. And good luck to everybody involved in that voluntary organisation. But consider them if you haven't bought your calendar yet this year. Okay, some of your thoughts coming in. E-cigarettes, we discussed e-cigarettes in the last hour and in particular e-cigarettes with regards to young people and young people taking up the habit and the danger is that if they start on an e-cigarette it may actually progress and they may actually go on to take up cigarette smoking which is obviously something we don't want them to do. Hi Patricia, with regards to the e-cigarettes and the lady who contacted you when she discovered lately that her 16 year old son is vaping and he's at he's answer and you could almost hear him saying it Ashurma, everybody is doing it I feel very sorry for her because lots of and then when she started quizzing him about where was he getting them from he said he was just walking into shops and he was buying them in, in shops so this is the point that this listener is picking up on uh, shop assistants want to be popular says this texter and they'll sell to any age group and that includes cigarettes I used to work in a shop so I know what I'm talking about uh, one person used to sell to everybody who came in sometimes I would say that person doesn't look their age but it didn't stop them from selling on cigarettes or these e-cigarettes and these cigarettes are as with cigarettes should only be sold to people over the age of uh, 18 and then Patricia listening to you talking about smoking in in November last after 50 years of smoking I quit I quit using an app called Quick Sure it's a six day programme and you're free from smoking. Best thing I have ever done free at last, says Noreen. Well, well done to you, Noreen. What a great start to the new year for you as well. But there's a good tip if anybody wants to check that out. Quit Sure, Q-U-I-T-S-U-R-E, a six day programme that our Noreen, after 50 years of smoking, managed to kick the habit. And I'm sure, Noreen, over those 50 years, you probably made a lot of attempts to try to give them up. But um, well done and good health to you going forward. And Paul says regarding vaping. Gave up a 40 a day smoking habit in 2013 when I switched to e-cigarettes. Still using e-cigarettes, but I now exercise five times a week. Why not concentrate on the positive side? The prohibitive cost of cigarettes should be enough to determine anyone from taking up cigarette smoking, says uh, Paul. And you are right, e-cigarettes, listen, and I'm with you, I gave up smoking cigarettes as well, thanks to e-cigarettes. So yeah, I, I absolutely advocate them as a fantastic way to give up cigarette smoking and you certainly will feel health-wise a lot better on an e-cigarette than you will on a real cigarette. But I think the real problem and what 
Colin Burke was really highlighting is the fact that research is showing what was it, 39% of 15 to 16 year olds say that they are vaping and the danger is that young people will take up vaping and could that lead to them going on to cigarettes? I think that's where the real worry lies. Thank you for your comments on that. And then a number of comments coming in with regard to the listener from North Cork who contacted us earlier living in a council housing estate and living beside what can only be described as the neighbours from hell and every time they head out their front door they are in fear of name calling, being laughed at and even threatened. It's been going on for 10 years. It's not something that's just happened. They've been reporting it consistently over the 10 years to the council nothing has been done every time they hear from the council they say they're looking into it but they've been looking into it for 10 years they've contacted the gar- the Gardaí nothing seems to be happening some of your thoughts on that John in White's Cross says tell that family to install a camera at the front of their house the camera will pick up everything that's happening you'll see then how fast the issue will be sorted out and Teresa says the very same thing because and she knows what this family are going through because she said we had a similar problem with neighbours and antisocial behaviour. Thankfully, they have moved on. But what we did at the time was we installed CCTV cameras. You can buy them online. You can buy them at a local store. They don't have to be very expensive. You can get ones that are you capture everything on your phone and then when you have the evidence, present that to the Gardaí. They will have to act. It is well worth investing in CCTV CCTV cameras to get your evidence because it seems evidence is the key to everything. That's from Teresa. Thank you for that. Uh, Teresa, Michael says Patricia, neighbours from hell, there is no point in ringing the Gardaí and complaining. That's just a waste of time. What that family needs to do is go into the station and make a written complaint to Angarda Corner. They then have to investigate a verbal complaint or just ringing them. You're not going to get anything done. Put your complaint in writing. And someone else says Patricia, horrified to hear what that family in the housing estate in North Cork are having to go through with their anti-social neighbours. I want to know why the council are allowing this to go on. What are the council... What the councillor is saying is you pay your taxes, you work 10 hours or more a day and we'll ignore this bad behaviour. We'll give them a house. You go out and work every day and uh, God knows... You work, you work, you go out and work every hour that God sends and you end up paying for your own house and then you end up living beside people like this. This needs to be an issue on our next voting day. Could you please invite a councillor onto the show to answer what is going on? To me, it is a joke. We have a massive housing waiting list. Why can't they just give these people notice? Sorry about the rant. Well, we have had councillors on over the years because, as I say, this isn't a new issue. We've dealt with it many, many times in the past and and councillors say that the council are doing the very best that they can. But when you hear of somebody who reckons for the last 10 years they have been reporting the antisocial behaviour and nothing is happening, that is really, really frustrating uh, indeed. 0818103103. Back to vaping and some of your. Um, oh no, I, I got those earlier. Sorry. My apologies. I got those ones earlier. This is from the Department of Health on the, the updated vaccine certificates, you know, the new digital certificates that we're talking about that we're telling people check if you've had your booster, check your emails because they've started emailing them out. We got onto the Department of Health. They say there are a number of vaccine recipients for whom there are no email address details. These members 
that the public will be contacted and invited to apply for an updated certificate. Now, John Paul has got back on to the Department of Health and asked if people are contacted, will they then receive the update certificate by the post? Because I would take it from that particular response that what they will say to people you you need to apply online and we're going to be back to that age old problem that not everyone has access to online not everybody has an internet connection and there are some people in our community who will not you know will not the the, the answer is possibly oh we'll get somebody else to do it for you but there are people who do those no who literally don't have anyone in which they can turn to to say can you go online and apply for my cert uh, for me so we're 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 going to press the department of health to see is there any chance that people will be able to get a paper version that they send out through the post so hang on in there but i definitely feel from that particular answer they're going to be contacted and invited to apply for an updated cert. So applying for an updated cert, will they send it out by a post? Let's wait and see. Do we get a response back? But at least we got a response back quick enough this morning. Normally we're waiting longer for those replies. 0818 103 103. C103 Jobs. Part-time office person is required to work in the North Cork area, while general operatives are wanted for Spiro Feed Mallow. The number to call is 022-21803. Part-time truck driver wanted, that's for work in the North Cork area, 087-7566524. And a teleporter driver wanted for the Bishopstown area. Industrial plumbers are required for a job based in Blarney and a construction worker is wanted to work in the Mitchellstown area. CVs for any of those positions, please, to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. Minimum unit pricing was introduced last Tuesday in this country as a health measure to reduce alcohol-related harm. But it now has been reported that it could lead to an increase in the use of illegal drugs and the sale of illicit high-grade alcohol. Mike Gearn is a senior addiction counsellor with Convera in Brewery and Mike joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning, Patricia. Happy New Year. And many happy returns and thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Now, for pe- people who are battling addiction issues, especially alcohol addiction issues, would they go to any length to get drink, regardless of what price we settled at? Yes, and I suppose, Patricia, the... the the important thing to remember about the minimum unit pricing initiative is that it has been introduced by the government to try and reduce the incidence of harmful drinking. And the overarching term harmful drinking encompasses individuals who may have alcohol addictions on the one hand, but on the other hand may not necessarily have an alcohol addiction but are drinking harmfully. And what I mean by drinking harmfully is somebody who might binge drink on a regular basis. So... You are correct in saying that for somebody who is alcohol dependent, they will probably go to any lengths to get alcohol 
So the measures in that respect may have more effect on people who are drinking harmfully, but not necessarily addicted, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I know one of the things when we've been discussing minimum unit pricing was to stop binge drinking, especially amongst young people. And young people are very affected by price. Yes, and that was one of the issues that has been raised in the context of harmful drinking amongst younger people in recent years was that one of the contributory factors was price and was the extent to which you could buy very large quantities of very strong alcohol at very cheap prices in off-license situations. So I suppose the government's response to that in that situation was to place this floor price of a euro per 10 grams of alcohol under each and every drink and that is of course, is going to have an effect now on the responsible recreational drinkers, who I have to say I feel some sympathy for in this situation and in this climate. But the government felt it was necessary to do so um, because of the level of alcohol-related harm that's out there that's now costing us in the region of €3 billion per annum. So you do welcome it? I welcome it, but at the same time, um, and it has proved somewhat efficacious in other countries in which it has been used. However, it is not a cure-all. And the solution to our very unhealthy relationship with alcohol as a nation will, will involve something far greater, somewhat of a cultural shift where we stop making this link between enjoyment and intoxication. I think that's the big issue. But certainly minimum unit pricing in that respect should help alleviate some of the harm. Gardaí are worried about the production of home brews, things like uh, pochine, which can be really, really high in alcohol content. Would you have concerns around that too? Well, I suppose it's something we hadn't considered and it's not something that we would see very regularly amongst the alcohol-dependent community where there would be any great incidence of them using illicit alcohols. That was probably down to the fact, of course, that alcohol was so cheap to purchase. Um, But we would be concerned that if anybody started using anything that was illicit, there is always a concern in that respect when you have no quality control that the person could take something um, or drink something that might be very dangerous to them. It was something I hadn't considered up to the point when the the Gardaí raised that concern that maybe there will be an upsurge in in home brews and illicit alcohols like Putchin as a result of the minimum unit pricing initiative and quite possibly there could be a bit of a swing to illicit drug dependence as well amongst the chemically dependent community so they are two things that will probably need to be watched as we go forward. Yeah and I suppose you know and you would you over the years you would have dealt with people who will have a, a dual addiction that if they were had a drug addiction and an alcohol addiction they yep. might lean more towards the drugs than the drink. Indeed and in actual fact that's not it's not so much that we have dealt with people like that over the past number of years, but that is becoming very commonplace now amongst the younger generation of people that seek help from services like ourselves, that we no longer see people, by and large, who are abusing one substance. They can very often be abusing three and four substances simultaneously, and they fall into a category of people who we refer to as polysubstance misusers, and that is far more common now. Um, It's nearly the rule rather than the exception when you are talking about younger people. The days of single-issue addicted people are, 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 are... 
numbered, really. When, uh, when, when you say younger people, Mike, what are you talking about? People in their 20s? I would be talking about people in their early 20s at this stage who, God. who may have been abusing substances um, up to and including cocaine from the age of 15. And I suppose the demographic of the typical client that we see, Patricia, now in comparison to what it was 10 years ago has shifted dramatically, both in terms of age and in terms of drug and alcohol related harm. So it's quite concerning. Has the pandemic led to an increase in alcohol related harm? Well, yes. I mean, there are people contacting us now who are alcohol only abusers and like Pre-COVID-19, we would have considered alcohol-only addiction to be a condition that was in decline um, because for the aforementioned reasons, young people were abusing a multiplicity of substances. But now we are have people contacting us who are claiming and their families are claiming that their alcohol consumption was reasonably responsible pre-pandemic. But with everything that happened, particularly around the first lockdown and that initial wave of COVID-19 in early 2020, into spring and early summer of 2020, that their alcohol consumption escalated to problematic levels um, from there onwards. So that's something, again, that we will be watching very closely going forward. You can't have an event of the magnitude of a COVID-19 pandemic in the world and not expect there to be some um, fallout in terms of people's well-being and people's habits going forward. Yeah, well, we've seen an increase in uh, people struggling with their mental health because of the pandemic. Yes, and again, you know, you would expect that the trends that are being seen in with mental health issues um, that people might see as being pandemic-related will probably be mirrored in the field of addiction as well because they are two very closely related um, fields. Well, yeah, you'll have people who say they'll try to numb their mental health issues by drinking and or taking drugs. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's essentially how all Certainly. addictions start, Patricia, is when people start to self-medicate unhappiness or ill-feeling or maybe a mild or moderate mental health disorder with either alcohol or some other substance. And then a link is made then, obviously, between the alleviation of unhappiness and the consumption of the substance and then the the addiction becomes established to the point where the person is unable to reverse the process on their own. And because pubs, Mike, were either closed or as they are now at the moment closed earlier, more people are drinking at home and we know by the sale of the off-licence and supermarket sales, we know that there's a lot of drink being consumed uh, in this country. Do we all need to take a step back and question how much drinking we're actually doing at home? Well, I suppose, yes, because, I mean, the the there are limits set for what is an acceptable amount for somebody to consume per week from the point of view of, of um, one's health. Um, and it, I suppose it would be no harm for anybody or everybody to look at those weekly limits and see are they exceeding them. It's worth pointing out that there was a distinct shift towards off-licence drinking ever before COVID-19 in any case. And a lot of that may have been price-driven. Um because alcohol was so much cheaper to buy and consume at home than it was to go out and drink it in, in, in like a pub setting. Um, and our alcohol consumption in Ireland is something like 11 litres of pure alcohol per capita in a year, which equates to something like 40-something bottles of spirits per person per year. So we, we do drink very large amounts of alcohol 
and there is a very high incidence of harmful drinking within Irish society, even if you excluded the alcohol-dependent cohort. Yeah, and we do everything around alcohol, don't we? We, you know, we celebrate, we mourn, we grieve. We, you know, everything is done with a drink in hand almost. We do, and I suppose particularly worryingly, Patricia, when you when you talk about our our um, association between all sorts of events, good and bad, and alcohol, that has been taken to a, a, another level by younger people in that you're talking about outright oblivion associated with social occasions and stuff where it's not at all uncommon, sadly, to see young people having to be taken to places like A&E um, because they have drank to such harmful levels. And that's really where we need to be concentrating our efforts in terms of education and prevention because no one measure, be it minimum unit pricing or anything else, is going to make that dramatic change in people. I suppose we really need to be going back um, to younger people and looking at how we can educate them in terms of the dangers of harmful drinking at an age before they do it. Yeah, okay. And how busy, Mike, are you at Cunvera? We're very busy. It's a challenging environment at the moment because of everything that's going on with COVID-19. Um, we've managed to operate throughout the pandemic. Well done. Which we were glad to do. And um, sadly, we are still getting people coming to us. We have never been as busy um, reporting the same problems that, that we've always had. Wow. Okay, listen, you do amazing work in in brewery and uh, we salute you for it, Mike. Uh, Stay safe and we'll chat again in the future. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Patricia, very much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Mike Gearan, the wonderful Mike Gearan, Senior Addiction Counselor at Convera in Brewery, a place that has saved so, so many people. 0818103103 John Paul's taking your calls the Department of Health have come back to people who don't have an email account and want to get their updated digital COVID certificate and they've come back to say if you don't have access to the internet or you, do, you don't have an email account you can call the helpline it's 1800 so it's a free phone number 1800 807 000 Eight. You need to write that down. One eight hundred eight zero seven zero zero eight. The helpline hours are Monday to Friday from half eight in the morning to half six. Now I imagine initially there'll be a flurry of activity towards that helpline, and then it will have a tendency to ease off. So unless you're in a rush to get your COVID certificate with the booster on it I'd hold off or else you're going to have to have a lot of patients on the helpline but 1-800-807-008 if that's for people who don't have access to the internet and want to get an updated COVID certificate which then they'll duly post out to you in the post if you've had your booster you can text or WhatsApp us at 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. On this day, exactly 100 years ago in 1922, the second doll voted narrowly to endorse the Anglo-Irish Treaty, which had been agreed in London the previous month. Tonight at 7 o'clock, RTE will broadcast a special programme called Treaty Live. It'll be presented by David McCullough and Sinead O'Carroll. And I'm delighted to say, to tell us more, David McCullough takes time out uh, to join us this morning. Good morning to you, David. 
Morning, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome to the programme. Now, what you are trying to do here is reimagine how television would have reported on this event 100 years ago. Is, is that what you're attempting to do? That's pretty much it, yeah. And we're, we're asking for a little help from the audience to spend the disbelief a little bit and, uh, and help us out. So basically what we're doing is we're treating the debate on the treaty in, in, uh, in 1922 as if it was being covered by a contemporary news programme like a Primetime or whatever, or a 6-1 News for that matter. So we have live reports from reporters at the scene. We have uh, uh, reports about uh, the background to what's happened. We have analysis of uh, the facts and figures and all that sort of stuff with with, uh, with Shade. And then I have a panel of experts, just as you would on, on a contemporary uh, TV or radio programme, talking about an event that's happening. And what we're trying to do is get across a sense of the tension of that night, because we all know what, what happened with the vote, but the people at the time obviously didn't. And at the time, the result was seen as too close to call. Nobody was sure until the actual uh, voting happened how it was going to go. Was the treaty going to be accepted? Was it going to be rejected? So we're trying to get, inject a bit of that tension and drama into it. And what we tried to do is, is, is create a piece of t- television that is informative, that is educational, I suppose, in a way, but is also engaging and entertaining. And, and uh, well, we'll see at seven o'clock tonight whether we're succeeding oh, or not. It's, it's, it, sounds, it sounds terrific. And, and I, I take it as well, the main hope is that we'll all learn more about the key characters and the key events. Yeah, and, and about the arguments uh, for, for either side, because uh, sometimes people don't really um, appreciate what exactly was being debated in Ulster uh, Terrace on that, on that night, and in, indeed in, in the couple of weeks uh, preceding. For instance, partition, not really an issue in those treaty debates, because everybody on both sides thought that that was all going to be resolved by the Boundary Commission that was included in the treaty. Uh, it was more about sovereignty. It was more about Ireland's position within the uh, British Empire. It was about whether or not Kings would have to swear an oath um, recognising the British King. So that was really what the issue was about. Um, on the one hand, you had the likes of Michael Collins saying this wasn't perfect, but it, gives, it doesn't give us the freedom that all nations aspire to, but it gives us the freedom to achieve that freedom. Sometimes uh, talked about as the stepping stones approach, that you get this, you'd use the treaty to enlarge your, um, your independence as you went along. On the other hand, people... With equal passion, uh, the likes of Mary McSweeney at Court TV uh, speaking at length and with uh, great determination, saying that this, to accept this, would be a betrayal of all those who had died uh, since 1916, uh, and that we simply couldn't do this, that we must fight on if necessary. So you had two opposing viewpoints, both held with great vigour and passion, and we're trying to get across the sense of that debate. And and it barely passed. I mean, it was just seven votes. So four votes either way, the other way, it would have been rejected. Yeah, now I suppose a government nowadays in the door with, with a seven-vote majority would feel pretty <laughs> pleased with themselves. But you have to see it in the context of the time. There was overwhelming support uh, for the treaty and pressure on TDs to accept the treaty. The newspapers were all in favour of it. Uh, the churches were in favour of it. Business organisations were in favour of it. Um, lots of the county councils around the country uh, backed it, as did local Sinn Féin branches. And it did seem that the vast majority of public opinion was in favour of it as well, not because they thought it was a perfect deal, but because they thought it was the best deal on offer. They were tired of war. They didn't want to go back to war for what might be won uh, by more fighting and m- m- more deaths. And you could really see that in the Christmas break. De Valera wanted to vote on the treaty before the doll broke up for Christmas. Michael Collins said, no, everybody's tired. We need to go back. We need to have a rest. Take a break for Christmas and come back. And 
when those TDs went back to their constituencies, they got it in the ear from the voters who said, look, for goodness sake, support this thing, please. Um, you know, we, we we don't want to continue with that, with conflict. We want to get back to living normal lives. This is as good as we're going to get. Let's just accept it. And quite a, a couple of TDs did change their votes. So, yeah, as you, as you say, a majority of seven if four TDs had changed their minds, it, it would have been defeated. And what's really interesting, Patricia, is a couple of days after the treaty was accepted, De Valera resigned as President of the Republic mm-hmm. and then put his name forward for re-election. And if he was elected, he said he was going to appoint an anti-treaty cabinet, which would do its level best to undermine the implementation of the treaty. Now, Collins and Griffith had a terrible job actually enforcing, the, actually making the treaty settlement work. So if there'd been a government opposed to it, it would have been a disaster for the treaty. And that vote was even closer. There was only two in it because wow. De Valera himself abstained. Two of the people who'd voted for the treaty uh, voted against it. Another two who voted in favour of the treaty abstained. So that brought the vote down to 60 to 58. So that is how close it really was. It was razor thin. And um, there, there was a real sense in the country that this could go either way and uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking at that tonight. OK, and of course, Eamon de Valera walked out, didn't he, after... Well, he, 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 yeah, people sometimes put a bit too much stress on this. After he was, he, he was defeated and Arthur Griffith was about to be elected in his place, de Valera and the anti-treaty side walked out and there was a bit of shouting and catcalling and uh, Michael Collins lost his temper with them and Countess Markovic was yelling back at him and everything. So it was all rather unor- uh, 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 un- um, unpleasant. But after the lunch break, the anti-treaty side came back uh, oh. and took their places in the doll and they continued on as if there was going to be a normal uh, opposition and uh, to, to, to the government. Um, so... Uh, the walkout, uh, I think it, it got a little bit of extra um, public attention thanks to a, a certain movie uh, from. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it was it was only a temporary thing. But you know, it did. It was a portent of things to come. Unfortunately, the bitterness got worse. The rhetoric on both sides got worse. There were a lot of guns floating around in the country at the time, and eventually, uh, it all went um, uh, very unfortunately into a civil war. And led to the civil war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the the real the real sadness of it. And would a crowd have gathered outside? Because you know we've got an era where people would be following Twitter and from the comfort of their own home to see what's going on. But of course, yes. in those days, you didn't say that. So, did a crowd gather outside? You're right. They they absolutely did. There was a massive crowd outside uh, on most of the days when the debates were going on. A lot of the debates were held in private session, but there were still people outside trying to see what was going on. And on the night of the result of the actual vote, there was a massive crowd in Earlsford Terrace, a, a huge throng, and they were getting messages. As each TD stood up, they, they called the roll in, in alphabetical order of constituencies. As each TD stood up to say whether they were in favour or against the treaty, news would be relayed out into the out to the crowd. And they actually worked out the result <laughs> before it was officially announced. Because, uh, you know, the way the goal works, even back uh, yeah. years ago, uh, there, were, there were procedures to go through. They write it down and count them all carefully. And even before Owen McNeil, the uh, the had stood up to announce the result, the people outside had worked it out, and there was a massive cheer which could be heard inside the chamber uh, that, uh, as people realised that the treaty had been accepted by That's the That's incredible. And it's just incredible to think it's like a hundred years ago uh, today. And I saw you on the TV. You were in London last month for mm. the anniversary of the signing, which was the the sixth of, of December. And you can hear it when you talk about it. It's something you're very passionate about. Was it very special to have been in London exactly 100 years to the day? 
Well, it was because it, you know I'm, I'm, I'm a history buff. Uh, I make no apologies for it. Uh, I'm very interested in it, uh, and I, I think it, you know it's, it's always interesting to think about why people did what they did to put, try and put yourselves in, in the context of the times. Because you know we sometimes judge people, uh, historical figures, by the standards of today. But you have to try and put yourself in their shoes to think about what they were facing, the choices they were facing, without knowing how it was all going to turn out. So it was great to be in London. We also got access to the cabinet room where the actual treaty was negotiated. We were able to do a bit of filming in there uh, and do an interview there. So that was um, that was really interesting. Yeah. And, and when you think about like what happened on this day a hundred years ago, it, it it's taken nearly a hundred years for the two parties, uh, the two main parties, Fianna Gael and, and Fianna Fáil, to actually share a government for the first time. Yeah, I mean, people talk about treaty politics, and obviously uh, the roots of Fianna Fáil are. Uh, the, the anti-treaty side, the roots of Fine Gael are in the pro-treaty side. The current incarnation of the Sinn Féin party, of course, would also have been, uh, their forebears would have been anti-treaty. Now, th- and, and when Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael agreed to uh, go into coalition, there's a lot of talk about the end of civil war politics and all that sort of stuff. But of course, um, you know, back in the 40s, Clown the Publisher, which was a Republican party, um, all, all of its, whose members would have been anti-treaty, they served in government with Fine Gael. So it's, it's maybe not quite as significant as, as overexcited commentators like myself said at the time. <laughs> OK, so tonight at 7 o'clock, it's right after the 6-1 news. That's, uh, well, I, I think the 6-1 is short, uh, so uh, it's, yeah, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Yeah. For an hour, an hour and a half, I think, is it? An hour and a half. half yeah. And uh, I think, you know, if you know absolutely nothing about uh, the treaty or about Irish history, I think you'll still find something. You'll still be able to follow it and, and take something away. If you know lots about the treaty, uh, I think if you uh, get something out of it, probably... Um, things that you don't like that you can then tweet abuse to me on Twitter <laughs> if, should you wish uh, people are doing it already thankfully uh, so yeah I think anybody will, will get, get something out of us and, and hopefully it'll be as I say it'll be informative but also entertaining OK looking forward to it uh, David listen thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, David McCullough uh, ahead of that programme tonight that he will be presenting called Treaty Live on the 100th anniversary. I love when we do things like this on the actual day. Uh, a very different Ireland 100 years ago in 1922. We were talking about minimum unit pricing with uh, Mike Gearin who's worried about the effects that it could have on people with alcohol addiction and uh, this worry that people will turn to... Uh, Pochine, illicit alcohol and our drugs. Uh, Claire said, where's all this extra money going with the minimum price of alcohol? I don't drink, says Claire, but I don't see why everybody needs to be penalised because of the few who abuse alcohol. A lot of people who are alcohol dependent will now turn to the cheaper option, i.e. drugs. The government will make money out of minimum union pricing. It's called VAT. Look at the current price of fuel. Kind regards from uh, Claire, who is very much against even though she's not a drinker, but very much against minimum unit pricing. And we've heard from host of our listeners who've noticed their usual tipple has very much gone up in uh, price. John Paul's taking your calls 0818103103. Text WhatsApp 0862103103. We've got break news at break and news at 12 midday. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. I want to wish the 
the best of luck to young Nicholas Ryan Purcell who writes to me to tell me that he has completed a non-fiction book which is called Anything is Possible Learning to Live with My Autism and this story tells how influential people helped Nicholas overcome challenges in showing him that anything is possible. Now it's a self-published book that he's self-distributing and he's got it into about 10 bookshops around the country including Philip's Bookshop in Mallow and if people would like to find out more about uh, more about it he's got a Facebook page as well called Anything Is Possible Book uh, the name of the book so Anything Is Possible but good luck that's uh, Nicholas Ryan Purcell we wish you luck with your uh, book uh, Nicholas OK some of your thoughts are coming in Michael Hi Patricia how are you doing Happy New Year to you and all the team many happy returns Michael I got my new Covid cert by email last night. Question for you. Do we delete the original one from the app now in order to scan and upload the new one? As it doesn't say. Uh, Many thanks says Michael. I was discussing this in the office with uh, John Paul and we've both come to the conclusion yet that that's what you need to do because it says if you go on to if you go online getting information about your new uh, digital COVID certificate for example Citizens Information wonderful source for any kind of information. uh, They say that your DCC arrives in a PDF format very same as the original one did which is emailed to you. You can download it to your phone where the QR code on the PDF may be inspected or scanned. You can also use the COVID tracker app which I think is what most of us did to keep the digital certificate securely on your phone and obviously it makes it easier then when you because most of us go nowhere without the phone so it means you've got your cert with you the, the whole time. You can also print it off obviously if you want to have a paper copy of it as well. So if you go into the COVID tracker app where your original digital COVID certificate is you can actually see and I don't know if it was always on it or not or if it's something that's newly appeared if you scan down it'll say at the bottom delete cert so if you just delete it then you'll be able to scan the new one so yeah I would I would definitely say that that's what you're going to need to do so that you have the new updated one which shows that you have received a, a booster but lots of people saying that they are getting their emails the emails are starting to come but don't panic it's going to take about a week for everybody to receive it by email and as we know from getting onto the Department of Health for people who don't have access to the internet and who didn't get their digital COVID certificate emailed to them they're asking those people if you've had your booster you don't have access to the internet there's a helpline set up 1800 807 008 helpline open Monday to Friday half 8 until half 6 and they're asking people to contact them there to request their updated digital COVID certificate which we're assuming they will then post out to you. Now a couple of other issues coming into us by text. Mary is looking for people opinion on a current storyline that's running on Emmerdale at the moment. Now I'm completely I have to say gone away from all of the soaps. I don't know when I fell out in love with the soaps. I was a great fan of Emmerdale, Coronation Street, EastEnders, Fair City and I can hand on heart say I don't watch any of them so I don't really know what any of the storylines but it's to do with a storyline between uh, Mina and is it Manpre and somebody been held hostage or something and then hidden in a bag and carried downstairs? Anyway, Mary's point about it all is that her elderly mother, who is in her 90s, great fan of Coronation Street and Emily Dale, always looks forward to watching them. But because the storyline in a lot of these soaps have become so violent, Mary is starting to question are these soap operas anymore? Are they family viewing? I mean, and they're on 
They're on Emmerdale is still at seven, isn't it? And Coronation Street and EastEnders and Fair City are on at half seven. Uh, Mary is wondering why have they made some of the storylines of such a violent nature? And she finds it very disappointing and that surely they're not for family viewing. And they're on before the watershed. I mean, the watershed is usually nine o'clock for any sort of programme where there be anything of, of a violent nature. Now, soap operas can be great to deal with issues and to push issues out there. You know, I mean, they've dealt in the past with um, uh, things like people having suicidal thoughts. They've dealt in the past with with violence, with domestic violence. And it is a great way to get people talking. And in many ways, and you'll see helplines will go up, uh, etc. So, you know, they, they can have benefits as well. But Mary wants to know, are others agreeing with her that the storylines are just gone away from what was family viewing and that they're much more adult viewing now. Your thoughts welcomed on that to 0818103103 or you can text her WhatsApp 0832103103 and then somebody else says Hi Patricia, I have to admire the Australian government for the way they are standing up to Novak Djokovic. Now I'm assuming everybody knows what's going on with Novak Djokovic, world number one tennis player. He wants to go back to he he is back in Australia wants to defend his Australian Open has he won it three times would he be going for his his, uh, fourth but the problem with Novak Djokovic is he is now I'm slow to say he's an anti-vaxxer because I don't know I I don't know if he's going to publicly telling other people not to get vaccinated but he personally is against vaccination so he hasn't been uh, vaccinated I think he actually had COVID as well at one stage anyway he was given what he says was a medical exemption because in order to take part in the Australian Open everybody has to be vaccinated the Australians are very very strict on their COVID restrictions you talk to anyone if you've got family members living in Australia they'll tell you what lockdowns are like in Australia and they'll tell you when they started introducing vaccines how for their own Australian people you couldn't go anywhere unless you were vaccinated and that still remains the same uh, today. So when the Australian Open was being organised for this year, held every year in Melbourne, everybody who's coming to the Australian Open must be vaccinated and Novak Djokovic isn't vaccinated. But he somehow managed to get what he says was a medical exemption. He said it was from the Australian Open organisation and also from the state of Victoria where Melbourne is of course, he got off the plane because he tweeted, he didn't tweet it, he put it up on Instagram that he was after getting this medical exemption. Of course, Border Forces in Australia says, well, we'll take a look at that medical exemption, sir, regardless of who you are, how rich you are, or if you're the world number one tennis player. Arrived in Melbourne, they take a look at they took a look at it and said, no, forget it, that's not a medical exemption. And then he was held in the airport for nearly 12 hours. He's since been taken to a, I, I don't know whether it's a quarantine hotel are a hotel where they hold people who don't have an actual visa and then are deported out of the country because he was told he would be deported on the next available flight. He's remaining in Melbourne at the moment because he's appealing the decision and that court case is not going to be heard until Monday. But he is under guard. He can't leave the hotel that he's in. And here's a man who normally is used to five-star hotels and by all accounts the hotel he's in certainly is not uh, five-star. But the Australian government, Scott Morrison, the president there, stood up straight away and said, forget it, if he doesn't have the correct visa, if he doesn't have a medical exemption he can go back on the next plane and that's why Novak Djokovic was flying into Australia. So anyway, this listener admires the Australian government for the stance they are taking. Uh, Texter says, he knew the rules but through 
his greed, this listener feels, he thought he could bully his way and put the Australian people at uh, risk. Listener says, if that was our government here, we'd be bending over backwards to accommodate and break all the rules just for him. Serbia are now trying to turn him into some kind of a martyr. Who are they kidding? He should be imprisoned. Must be joking. Well, he'll be deported if it'll be, you know, I'm, I'll be watching this with interest to see how the appeal goes. But anyone who watches that Border Force programme um It's a TV programme about border controls and flights in and out of Australia. They do not suffer fools lightly, I'll tell you. And it wouldn't make a difference who the man was, whether he was the number one tennis player or not. So it didn't surprise me when I heard that Border Force moved in as soon as he touched down. There wasn't a red carpet rolled out to him uh, for sure. And of course, we know about people breaching COVID guidelines and what's going on in our own country. Golfgate is underway and we have four men standing trial in Galway District Court. A lot of coverage in the papers today. They are in court for contravening Section 31 of the Health Act by organising uh, to feed the great, the good of the Oireachtas Golf Society. And this happened back in August of not last year, the year before uh, 2020. Four defendants are independent TD Noel Grealish, former Senator Doni Cassidy and then you've got John and James Sweeney who are the father and son, they're the owners of the Station House Hotel in Clifton where the event and where the dinner took place. Now, I was saying yesterday, the trial opened yesterday and I was saying it was expected to last for two days. Reading the papers today, it seems the trial is expected to last for four days. There are 51 possible witnesses due to be called to recount what is easily now the most famous golf dinner ever to have taken place in the history of the estate. And among one of those expected to give a witness statement is a Supreme Court judge in the form of Seamus Wolfe. Um, whether or not he appears as a witness remains to be seen because I know yesterday some of the witnesses, because of COVID, either they had picked up COVID themselves or they were close contacts, were not able to travel to the courthouse so that some witnesses were not available uh, yesterday. But one of the most central issues in this case is the event. There was 81 attendees at the event. Whether it took place in one big room that then was essentially divided into two smaller rooms by a petition. And it's whether this petition was solid or it was movable. That's what's going to be debated in the trial. Some of this, you're almost laughing, thinking, is this this actually going on? But it is. Because, of course, I think at the time, was it 50 were allowed in the room? And they were trying to make out that it was done in two separate rooms. But then other other eyewitnesses were saying no there was just a petition and at some stage I think for the prize giving ceremony and the speeches that you would have at a golf society dinner the petition was removed so if the petition was removed then technically it was one large room of which 81 people were sitting in they may have had it divided while they were having their meal but was the petition was it uh, movable or was it solid that's what is going to be uh, debated and it continues today as I say they're expecting it to go on for four days watch this space because we know as we mentioned yesterday if they are found uh, guilty up to two and a half thousand euro they could be fined 
and are six months in jail. So people are waiting to see what the fines are going to be uh, like. And while Golfgate is going on, there was a number of people before Judge Joanna Carroll at Middleton District Court yesterday. Defendants appeared in court for not paying fixed charge penalty notices which were issued over matters such as attending house parties, people travelling outside of their 5K for non-essential reasons, that was back in January and uh, February of last year. Guardi at the time, you will remember, were permitted to issue penalty notices of €100 euro, was for non-essential travel. There was a €500 euro fine for non-essential journeys to an airport or a port. Remember the people who were trying to get away on holidays? And then there was a €150 euro fixed notice fine for people who attended house parties. And it seems, that, I don't know what the actual total and the number of people who have been fined, but number were, now they did pay up, but before the courts yesterday were people who decided they weren't going to pay so they were taken to court. Now some of the defendants who were before the court yesterday included two men who were stopped in a car on the N25 last February. They were 140 kilometres away from their home. They lived in County Kerry. They told Gardaí at the time that they travelled to purchase a car. They were issued with a fixed charge penalty notice which hadn't been paid. Judge Carroll yesterday said that that wasn't a vital journey. So she convicted one of the men and imposed €125 fine. The judge also yesterday convicted and fined a young woman who failed to pay a fine after she attended a 40th birthday party. This birthday party was held in a house in Cove back in February of last year in breach of the regulations. Now, seemingly, Gardy called to the house initially and told the party goers to go away. And obviously they didn't because the Gardaí had to go back again in the early hours of the morning and again get the people to leave. And it seems there was some abuse on one of the officers. So the judge convicted and fined the woman yesterday €200. Euro. Judge Carroll said people could not attend funerals or weddings at that time. And many, many people missed out on celebrating other occasions because the majority of us did as we were told and we followed all of the rules. A number of other people due before the court for similar offences yesterday were unable to attend because they either had COVID-19 or they were a close contact of a confirmed case and they're not getting away with this because their cases have now been adjourned and they'll be back before Judge Joanne Carroll in Middleton Court in February or at March. So when people read about that they'll be saying well look if people have been bought the ordinary uh, the good and the kind people of Ireland have been brought before the courts because they breached the rules and the regulations. It's only right and proper that members of the Oireachtas Golf Society should also be before the courts. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Now we have a couple of cancellations in view of the current rising numbers due to the Omicron variant and in the interest of everybody's safety Kildallery's drive in bingo due to be held tonight that's been cancelled and they've also decided to cancel next Friday the one for the 14th of January and the P2P uh, due to be held in Ahabolic 
that has been postponed until Saturday the 15th of January. Now that's not got to do with COVID, it's unfortunately due to the sad passing of their chairman, Jack Murphy. May he rest in peace. Bingo is going ahead though in Charleville. That's happening Sunday afternoon at 4pm. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. And help for a listener, please. Hi, Patricia. I'm from West Cork. I'm expecting a letter that someone posted to me in Drimmer League. I'm in Dumamway. They posted the letter on Tuesday. We're here Friday and I still haven't received it. Is anybody else having problems with their post in West Cork? And do I assume that the post has been delivered uh, today and that you still, it should have been, I mean, even... I wouldn't be saying next day delivery at the moment because they're under so much pressure but if it was posted on Tuesday you would have thought that you would have received it by yesterday and or even at the very latest today. Anybody else in West Cork waiting on post? I know we had Pat on to us earlier who was also raising an issue about the postal service. He's started to receive items that were should have been should have received before Christmas and they're starting to arrive this week and we did get on to one post who did say to us, look, they had a busier than normal Christmas. But the problem that they have now that they've gone back after Christmas is they have a number of staff out at the moment like a lot of other businesses people are either have come down with COVID or they're close contacts and they're not available for work because I know I was talking to we have a lovely postman who calls to us here and and I meet him most mornings uh, getting the post and they're under huge pressure at the moment so I think we can expect certainly for the next couple of weeks it's going to be the same with all businesses because they are struggling they just literally don't have enough staff so do I take it that that's what's going on in West Cork or other people waiting um post in the West Cork area because this sister obviously I don't know what in the letter but somebody who really wants to is is waiting urgently for this letter to uh, arrive 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls on Novak Djokovic John says are the Australians just using him at the end of the day he was invited to come to play in the Australian Open so are they using him to show that the stance against anti-vaxxers and those who don't want to go ahead with their vaccines no I would certainly wouldn't say the Australian government are using him in that way his invite and I don't know whether he was invited or he wanted to play I mean he seems very desperate to play because he's trying to bring break a record as well isn't he for the number of Grand Slam Grand Slam wins I mean somebody's saying he's doing it for money I mean that man is a multi-millionaire so he's certainly not doing it for money but it's the honour and the prestige I think at this stage and to get him into the history books is probably one of the reasons that he is uh, doing it but um, so no they wouldn't have invited him to play and then decided uh, to use him as a kind of the poster boy against anti-vaxxers he the, the mistake to me seems to be with the Australian Open who granted him the medical exemption even though he didn't have a proper medical reason for not being vaccinated. I mean, to me, I think that's... And we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens when it goes to court when the appeal is heard on Monday. But I think the finger blame is very much going to land at the Australian Open and in some ways their local government in Victoria because they granted this medical exemption but then the national government overruled it and said that's not a medical exemption and that's why he was... 
His visa was cancelled when he arrived the other day. And somebody else says, Patricia, about Novak Djokovic, money talks, so the Australian rules are right in my view. I don't know why the news focuses on this story, really. There's, surely there's much more important things to be concerned about, apart from some multi-millionaire just trying to make more money. My thoughts only. Thanking you, says this uh, texter. And the whole, the whole world is talking about Novak Djokovic, for sure. On the soap operas, another Mary, because it was an original Mary, said, Thing. I started to notice the soaps seem to have gone very violent. This Mary says, actually Patricia, I gave up watching the soaps years ago for that very reason. They seem to be gone very aggressive. There seems to be a lot of shouting on them and it doesn't make for the relaxing viewing that once was when you turned on the soaps. It was always kind of a nice relaxing way kind of to settle into your evening but certainly they have changed with the times and I'm wondering is that because society have we as have we as society become more aggressive and because soaps really reflect what's going on in the outside world isn't 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 that what they're they're there for isn't that what they they do and you wonder is it just a sign of the times but people more and more people seem to be switching off from them. Back to minimum unit pricing and this is uh, Colette uh, it says, she was wondering could Mike Gearn but Mike Gearn is an addiction counsellor so he couldn't explain how why uh, wine, particular brands of wine are going up. Uh, but Colette's point is, cannot understand why expense, what was expensive wine why it's gone up so much a bottle of wine that Colette has been uh, drinking has gone up by 4 euro it was 10 euro it's gone up to 14 euro and then she said a friend of hers always buys a bottle of wine it was 12 euro all year uh, round went into a local supermarket and it's gone up to 17 euro it's gone up by 5 uh, euro a bottle since it was introduced last uh, Tuesday on principle she said she's not going to pay it because 12 euro when she was paying 12 euro 12 euro was enough 17 euro seems very high and it does seem very high the only thing I can suggest because you know before people say it's taxes it's not there will be some of it will be VAT but minimum unit pricing is the price now that the supermarkets and the off licences have to sell the drink at and it is based on the lowest price that can be charged for a gram of alcohol now is 10 cent and a standard drink has 10 grams of alcohol in it so it means no, one standard drink now under the law can't be sold for less than one euro and that's why the price of the minimum unit pricing hasn't affected drink in that you'd buy in a restaurant or drink that you buy in a bar because there's nowhere in this country where you were where you would ever be buying one standard drink for one euro and that's why it's only the off trade that is affected and we were told at the time that it shouldn't really affect uh, it was more the cans of beer and the bottles of spirit where we were really going to see the price rising and when you look at an example of minimum unit pricing you have to look at the strength of the wine. For example, a bottle of wine that's 12.5% alcohol content, the minimum that that can be sold for is €7.40. And then a bottle of stronger wine, say at 14.8%, that can, the least that that can be sold at is €8.76. So based on those prices, I was also, like Colette and like other listeners, assuming bottles of wine that were already on sale for €10 Euro or €12, Euro, I thought they would have remained the same. I can't. I'm scratching my head as well. I can't understand how they've increased in price. The only thing I can say to people is query it and actually ask the off licence or ask the the supermarkets where you're buying the drink and try and get them to explain how they've set the new price because I'm scratching my head on it as well. I really can't understand it. It does seem like some bottles have really jumped up in uh, price. 0818 103 103 
John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. And actually on post, some people just sending some texts in. Hi Patricia, I'm still waiting on Christmas cards. Posted well before Christmas. That's a Fomoy listener. So it's a county-wide issue. It isn't just post delayed in West Cork. Um, as I say, on post say they are just extremely busy. And someone else is waiting for the tax disc for their car. I've been waiting since the second week of December. I ended up contacting the motor tax office. They told me to go to the Garda station and get a form for a replacement disc. What a carry on. So are they saying that your tax disc has been lost in the post? And this is a further statement from um, Post. They say deliveries in some rural areas are being impacted by staffing shortages. The company say a spike in COVID-related absences has placed a temporary strain on its resources. It says the worst impact being felt across its mails and parcel network and at some post offices with some having to temporarily shut. It says social welfare uh, benefit payments will be transferred to the nearest neighbouring post office for those affected. I did see that, that there was some post offices had to close. But they say it's just a temporary strain they're under and for people to just have patience. Court Today on C103 with John Q. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Cusack Insurance is Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103. Just on on post, uh, listener says, Hi, I just got a text from a friend thanking me for the Christmas card. I posted it on the 22nd of December. It arrived today in the North Cork uh, area. Yeah, let's have, uh, well, that wouldn't have been delivered over Christmas. And they're just, they're doing catch up as well, I'd say, with a lot of additional posts that would have arrived in on Christmas week. And Mary makes a really good point and one that I should have mentioned earlier. She says, Hi, Patricia, on post are up the walls as the HSE antigen tests for close contact are also being sent to the post. And they are. They absolutely are. So uh, sympathy to all of the postmen and women on top of the ones that they're you know, doing additional work for the workers that are not available to work. They are really working flat out at the moment. Now, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. We too got uh, Christmas cards yesterday. By Did the way. you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which weren't stamped either. So we got a free stamp. Oh, my goodness. From, <laughs> from an Irish... Address? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. And did the stamp fall off or have you got very mean friends who are not putting stamps on their cards? 
No, no, no. It was, sorry, no. The, the, the stamp was on it, but it wasn't stamped by oh, the post okay, office. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they're working yeah. flat out. Yeah, they really are. They really are working flat out. Okay, so movies for us: uh, Spider Man No Way Home, and then Encanto. We have a quick trailer from the new Spider Man movie. We tamper with the fabric of reality. What's happening? It's starting to come through, and I can't stop him. Leave him in the sanctum sanctorum. Neither can I. I'm, I mean, how many Spider-Man movies have they made? What number are we up to for Spider-Man movies? Oh, crikey, that's a very good question because they've been making them for years. I suppose if you kind of, in, in kind of the more modern era, I suppose you had uh, you had three Tobey Maguire films, the first of which was good, second and third were okay, and then you had the two Andrew Garfield films as well, which weren't brilliant, even though he was okay. Uh, so we've had three of these, of this particular kind of series with Tom Holland, and uh, these three, I think, have been way better, unfortunately, than the previous five. And I say unfortunately because it wasn't the previous Spider-Man's fault. I mean, it was just that uh, they were kind of at times badly written and badly directed. But three of these have been terrific, and um, and the fans have loved them as well. And so, therefore, when you know the the the, the, the when the when the the, the trailer was was uh, released for this film, for example, it just broke all YouTube records because people were desperate, you know, to see and. Uh, to see what happens with this film and the film is a pandemic film it's been released and it's actually um managed to um accrue something close to a billion dollars at the box office worldwide which is extraordinary uh, during this kind of pandemic time because a lot of films haven't really done that well at all i mean you, you've only got to look at the new um uh, the new matrix film for example which has bombed at the box office but this hasn't this has done very very well indeed and i would see this in a max screen with my daughter and um unfortunately by the way just to you know um a quick hint to people going to see films in the back screen try and get seats as far back as possible because the scene because the the, the the screens are so big that if you're actually close in any way to the screen it's actually quite difficult we were just about on the cusp of it being acceptable but okay. well, it didn't ruin our enjoyment of the film I mean it was absolutely terrific and she put in particular because this is her Spider-Man and she was really looking forward to this in fact at one stage she grabbed my hand and didn't leave it <laughs> go throughout the rest of the whole film and she was actually shaking that's how much she was kind of loving what she was seeing on screen and I was enjoying it as well I mean I think it's terrific it really is and it's if this I doubt this is going to be the final one they're talking about this as the trilogy I doubt it it's made so much uh, you know money and there was talk of um, our Spider-Man here Tom Holland going no I'm not going to do it again you can be sure you've got to see him on screen again because it is very very good it's two and a half hours long and yet you know I've been bemoaning the fact that recently a lot of films and a lot of directors don't seem to be able to make a solid two-hour film uh, without it being kind of a bit of a mess every now and then. Uh, this is solid at two and a half hours. At no stage was I looking at my watch. At no stage was I bored at what I was seeing on screen because what we were seeing on screen was pretty extraordinary. And considering, again, it was made during a pandemic, it doesn't look that way. It looks a big, big movie. And, um, and the action sequences are great. Everybody's great. I mean, there are a number of people in this film who could have just phoned in a performance. They don't. They're really, really good. They really put everything they have into the film. And I, I think that's credit to the director as well, as well as the young man here, you know, Tom Holland. 
Scott, who, you know, who also has scenes of kind of emotional depth in this film and manages to carry it off. I mean, he's very, very good indeed. And um, and I really, really enjoyed it, as did the fans, I'm glad to be able to say, because the fans at times, I think, can be kind of quite critical uh, about what they see on screen. I loved it. She loved it. And, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. OK, so that is Spider-Man No Way Home. Mark it out of 10. I'm going to give it a 10. Whoa, that's uh, for the first one of the year as well. Well done. Now, the, <laughs> the second one is called Encanto. This is animated. Yeah, it's Disney Hollywood Studios, yeah. And um, again, it's kind of a, we've seen a number of these films from Disney over the last couple of years uh, that they've released. All of them kind of look very, very much the same. Very, very bright colours. If you think of Luca, if you think of Raya, for example. Now, it's nowhere near as good as Luca, but Luca was Disney Pixar. This is Disney um, Animation Studios. And um, it's a film that's set in Colombia. And it's about this kind of um, this area called Encanto, which means enchantment. This beautiful town. Um, which is run by a company, a, a, a family called the Madrigals, who have powers. They have these extraordinary powers. Somehow the power have, have, have powers of strength. Some can talk to animals. Um, but Mirabelle, who is part of this family, our hero in this film, she doesn't have any superpowers. And people are always asking her, why don't you have a superpowers? All your family do, but you don't. And it kind of makes her a bit of a kind of an outcast and she kind of doesn't feel part of the of the village and part of, of the family until she has one night this dream where she believes that Encanto is in danger and goes on a journey to try and save the town with her friend um, Bruno, here played by Jen, uh, John Leguizamo. Uh, the thing about the film is that um, Again, it's made during lockdown again and again. Like, for example, uh, Luca, uh, you know, a lot of what you see on screen was made by people at home. And to produce something this extraordinary, extraordinary beautiful, I mean, it really is a testament to the, the, the artistry of these people. There's a scene, for example, where it, way in the background, uh, a donkey flicks his tail, which most people won't notice. Yeah. And... And people think, well, why make a big deal out of it? But the fact is, somebody had to go and design that donkey. Somebody had to um, artistically paint that donkey. Somebody then had to digitize the donkey. And then somebody had to animate it. And that would have taken an awful long time and a lot of money. But that's the kind of detail that these films have. And that's the kind of love and time and effort they put into these films. And I think it would be wrong for us not to kind of, uh, you know, reward them for that. I mean, it's an extraordinarily beautiful film. If I have a problem with the film, it's the, the standard of the songs. I thought they were just ever so slightly a bit bland. And the surprising thing is that they were written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's somebody I admire a, a great deal. And if the songs were a little bit better, I'd be given this 10 out of 10 because it is very, very beautiful. It's a bit odd. And a bit weird at times, which might confuse kids a little bit because the story can be a little bit confusing. But look, there's there's so much beauty on screen. And look, the songs do work as part of uh, the storyline, if only they were a little bit better. Uh, mm-hmm. But I still enjoy it very, very much indeed. And there's lots to enjoy here. And again, I will recommend this one as well. Uh, I have to fess up and say, I watched this over Christmas with Smallies. Oh, great stuff. And I thought it was, ju- I kept saying, isn't this just beautiful? It was just, and we I watched it on a big screen and it was just, I thought, exquisite at times. I agree with you. I, I, I didn't really get the songs, but the Smallies did. I watched it with two little boys. They got the songs and they were humming away <laughs> and they enjoyed it. And yeah, it was lovely. It's just, and it's one of those gorgeous family movies that everybody can sit down and watch together. 
Well, I'm glad to be able to say both films are that way. Yeah. Because Spider-Man, again, is a film that, you know, and I, again, I've been more the fact that very few films these days. If you look at something like Speed, for example, remember the old Speed film with yeah, Keanu yeah, Reeves? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that's a film that could be watched by everybody. There's one scene in the film where Dennis Hopper sticks um, a screwdriver in somebody's head. It's a horrible scene. Yeah. Take that scene out and everybody can watch it. And so many movies, I think, for me, have these scenes which they put in, maybe to get an R rating, you know, which is like a 15 rating here. Maybe they do that deliberately. Here, at least you've got two films here that can be watched by all the family, no matter what age, and they can all sit down and enjoy them. And uh, I, yeah, Encanto is beautiful. It's just a pity the songs weren't better. Okay, mark it out of 10. I still give it a good nine. Yeah, I do. Absolutely, absolutely. And by the way, thank you for your recommendation on Mary Poppins Returns over Christmas. I have to say it was one of my highlights. I absolutely loved it because I hadn't seen it in the cinema and it was beautiful. Beautifully shot as well. And, exactly, and, and, and did, you, did you enjoy the songs? Because Loved the thing it. was, with, for me, with Mary Poppins, was that one of the criticisms was that the songs weren't very good. I loved I the, the songs. songs were extraordinary. I was singing the songs by the end of the movie. And, and it was my first time hearing them. I thought they, I thought it was great. Great, great movie. OK, listen, pleasure as always, Mark. Have a lovely week and we'll chat next Friday. Thanks a million. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. So I leave you for today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. And we're back with you on Monday morning at 10 o'clock onto the line Patricia Messenger a very good afternoon enjoy your weekend Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget friendly coverage for you learn more at UH1.com planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.